0: Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. The class of 2021 is officially done because JT Tuomala committed to Ohio State. We will have a postscript on all the things that went on with that recruitment, how it all played out since his commitment. Folks have been a lot more willing to talk about what they experienced, what they saw, what they knew. So, I'll kind of break down exactly how that all played out. Oregon picked up a big time commitment from five star offensive lineman Kelvin Banks. There's a huge commitment. I've talked to him multiple times about his decisions. It- both prior to and since his decision. So I'll break down kind of his decision-making and and what stood out about Oregon. He also talked a little bit about the NIL rules and how that potentially impacted his decision to go to Oregon. We'll take a look ahead. What what are the Ducks doing going forward? We'll also touch on the Oregon State Beavers because after a huge hot streak, this week was kind of a coming back down for them. A couple of their key targets went elsewhere. To big-time schools to some big time schools. But missing out on those key targets shows that even though they're making progress, they're number 8 in the Pac-12, they're number 51 nationally. There's still quite a bit of room to grow. But first, I want to get to the JTT, just J- JT Tuolumalo, the five-star defensive lineman, the number 1 recruit in the nation, committed to Ohio State on the 4th of July. And I know a lot of folks went into that just that commitment thinking, is he going to be a duck? Is he not going to be a duck? And I have to say, now that I've done roughly a week of postscript on this, I, I think the Oregon buzz was and always has been very similar, very similar to the San Francisco 49ers when there were rumors of Mac Jones potentially being the pick. During that, for folks who don't know, don't follow the NFL real closely, the Niners traded up for the number three pick. And almost everyone thought that had to have been for Trey Lance or Justin Fields when they first did it but there was no real hint other than that they were going to take a quarterback. And then came a report that potentially they were going to take Mac Jones. And then suddenly everyone kind of started piecing different clues together and saying, it's Mac Jones, it's Mac Jones, Adam Schefter, Mac Jones. um, You know, multiple people came out and said, Mac Jones, somebody, a famous reporter back in New York tweeted, I'm not allowed to tip picks. I'm not allowed to tell people who is being picked, but The Niners, very, very, very likely to choose Mac Jones. Well, then the pick came out, and it was Trey Lance. And the 49ers said, you know, Mac Jones really wasn't ever going to be the pick. And Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan's the head coach, John Lynch is the GM, they said it was really funny to sit back and watch a month, six weeks, whatever it was, of draft coverage. And people had sources that the Niners liked Mac Jones, that they were torn in the, you know, internally in the front office that it was, was it Mac Jones or Justin Fields? Was it Mac Jones or Trey Lance? And they said it was just fun to sit back and watch it because none of it was real. And unfortunately for Oregon fan, I'm telling you, as it played out, it was pretty much Ohio State the whole way. And I was hesitant to make a full-on pick because the Oregon buzz got so loud from other people saying it was Oregon and it was all these team sites and and it was never anything substantive It was just kind of this buzz that maybe Oregon was going to be the pick since then. I've asked this theory of other people. Do you think the Mac Jones to the Niners stuff and they end up taking Trey Lance, they say Mac Jones really wasn't ever considered the pick. Is that similar to this whole situation with JT2 Malau? And overwhelmingly, the response I get back is yes. Ohio State was number one the whole way. Alabama was a close second sounds like pretty substantial gap for a long time. And I'm talking February, March. And around that time, you had an Oregon team site predict jt 2 allowed to Oregon this Monday back in the spring. That report confirmed now at this point, completely fabricated. There was never a time where he hinted he was going to commit. He was always planning to take visits when the dead period lifted. Anybody reporting at any point that he was going to commit prior to his official visits completely made it up rivals at one point reported it was down to Alabama and Oregon that Ohio State had essentially been eliminated that was completely made up he chose ohio state it was completely made up it's completely fabricated we go into june and it's still going into june again confirmed this is stuff that i now know to be true ohio state was pretty much a solid one alabama was kind of a second gap not as huge a gap oregon closed it a little bit but not completely Oregon was third, and I still think Washington and USC were pretty much out of it. He took that visit to Ohio State, and it was pretty much done. Oregon got a visit. I don't have it directly from Oregon. That's against the rules. I have it as close as I can get. That even internally, there was a lot of feeling that during his visit, that JT wasn't going to go to Oregon. That there wasn't a lot of confidence in Oregon's camp that they maybe got him. He cancels the Alabama visit. He didn't cancel the Alabama visit as it turns out because he was so enamored with Oregon. He canceled that Alabama visit because I think he knew he was going to Ohio State and maybe even Alabama. It was a mutual canceling. That's the part I don't know. Did Alabama go, you know what, it's Ohio State. We're we're just going to bow out because we know it's Ohio State. That part I don't know. Do not have that confirmed anywhere. But it sounds like after that back-to-back Ohio State-Oregon visit, that he knew he was going to Ohio State right then and there, done deal. The Alabama visit ends up getting canceled. And I still say, and I feel this very strongly, and I, again, as well as I can source, and I, I'm telling you and I've been transparent this whole way through, my sources have not been JT or his family directly for the last several months. There was a time when I talked to the family more. As his recruitment progressed, I stopped getting interviews with the family. But I still had sourcing around the situation. And I think I can comfortably say, I feel I feel comfortable saying Alabama still in its own way finished second. Because if there were no Ohio State, I don't think he was dead set on Oregon as a number two. I think he would have taken that Alabama visit. I think he knew it was Ohio State and it was over. And then if if Oregon fans want to say, well, we we clearly finished second because he took a visit to us and didn't to Alabama, that's fine. I think what happened is he went, it's Ohio State. You know, I've got this flight directly to, Den, you know, to Denver, then to Oregon. I'll take the Oregon visit. Why not? And see how it goes. And then there's no need to take any more visits. It's done. I'm done. Ohio State was the clear leader. And I, and I asked Brandon Huffman about this in the, in the days leading up to that visit, how he felt. And he said the exact same thing that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said when people were speculating that Mac Jones was the Niner pick. He said, I felt very confident. I knew exactly what was going on. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say the only person for the last month that got any quotes from JT directly was Brandon Huffman. So who was talking to JT to him one person, Brandon Huffman. So if Brandon's saying the last three or four days were fascinating, he was just watching and he said, I just watched people make, you know, make predictions and, and report different things about how close it was. And you can speculate and extrapolate from that. He didn't say this, but you can say if he was fascinated by it, it's because he knew it was all made up. This recruitment for me personally has been one of the most frustrating recruitments I've ever experienced. Not because JT and his family didn't handle it the right way. I actually thought they did. I thought they did a nice job handling it. They wanted to take visits. They stayed firm on that all the way through. They didn't cause a lot of drama. Brandon Huffman knew exactly what was going on beat for beat. That was the guy they trusted. That was the only guy they talked to. And it was frustrating you know, however long ago it was, a year ago, six months ago, with COVID all time seems to just blend together that I could no longer talk to JT or do an interview or, or get a, get in contact with the family. Fine, it happens, it happens. But that was, it was a letdown because Oregon was in it and I would have liked to have talked to him. So that part was frustrating. The fact that it kept extending and I didn't know exactly when he'd com- commit was hard. It was hard as a reporter to cover and not know for sure what was going on. It was also hard to see things like, JT to him allowed to Oregon this Monday and no, for sure even even second and third hand I knew it was completely made up you know you had Huff, Huffman came on my show and said I didn't even make a phone call to check he's the number one player in America Huffman was like I was on vacation I didn't even bother to check I knew it was made up rivals reports Ohio State's out it's Alabama or Oregon in the spring completely made up predictions from a bunch of Oregon team sites. JT2M out of Oregon even in the days before. And again, all I said all the, along the way is, there's a chance. There's always a chance because he visited. There's always a chance. So you keep that open. But I said all along, it's looking very strongly like Ohio State. It's looking very strongly like Ohio State. Before February signing day, at one point I said, I think Oregon's pretty much out of it. I had pretty good sourcing saying Oregon couldn't make up the ground necessary to jump back in. Then, of course, his recruitment went on for seven more months. And so then there was a chance because seven months had elapsed. But even while I was hearing pretty consistently, Oregon's third, Oregon's third, Oregon's third, Oregon's third, it's Ohio State, Alabama, Gap, Oregon, Gap, Washington, USC. I heard that for months. Even while I was hearing that, I was hearing people say, well, Ohio state's out since when it's Alabama or Oregon since when it's Oregon this week. No, really, really frustrating. There's always when a kid has a list of finalists and their high school kids, there's always a chance. There's always a chance. They surprise people and you always have to keep that open when you make a prediction and it lasts a long time. You always have to keep open the possibility that the kid's going to end up somewhere else. You just do because it happens. The random shocker happens where, I mean, it's happened to me. I've had quotes from a kid. I've had quotes from a kid choosing Oregon. I had quotes. I did an interview with him. He changed his mind before he announced and announced for another school. Now, this was a few years ago, but it happened. So I could have boldly said, no matter what, guarantee it's Oregon. There's no chance. 100% Oregon. But I didn't. I said, I feel strongly it's Oregon. And the reason is kids can change their mind. So that's why I said, I feel strongly it's Ohio State. Nothing, never, not once from a reliable source ever did I hear that it was Oregon. And yet you had multiple people saying, well, I've got sources that say Oregon's right there. Not reliable sources because I got as close as you could. Huffman got directly with and Huffman never said, you know, people are saying it's Oregon. And I could do as many secondary and close hand and recruits and guys who knew him and coaches who'd worked with him and whoever, and no one said Oregon. And yet you had these predictions for Oregon. And it just shows how self-serving sometimes team sites can be. It shows how ser- self-serving the industry can be. I mean, and Ohio State's guilty of it too. Ohio State, report, uh, Ohio State team site reported he was signing in February on signing day. Completely made up. Never part of his plan. Just completely fabricated. But these recruitments, and again, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said the exact same thing about that it was never Mac Jones for them. So they could just sit back and watch people, and they weren't leaking anything. They could just watch people, sources say, sources say, sources say, and they knew it was all made up. Huffman said it was fascinating to watch what people were reporting those last few days. Again, he didn't say specifically, but you can extrapolate because a lot of it was made up. I don't always go out on a limb. I'm, I'm much more conservative with my predictions. I'm much more careful with my predictions because I don't want to mislead anybody. But I think, I think this industry is full of a, lot of a lot across all platforms. I saw it with Alabama team sites, Ohio State team sites, Washington team sites, Oregon team sites. It's saw it with everybody. People predicting their school on the off chance they're right so they can say they knew something that other people didn't. The JT 2 Malau family was talking to one guy. And you can say, well, other people had sourcing. They were able to talk to people close. Sure. But if, if their reports out of those sources were, it's, a, it's Alabama, it's Oregon, it's Washington, it's USC, they were bad sources. I didn't seek out people who told me it was Oregon. I sought people out who would tell me the truth. And the entire recruitment, not one time, not once, did somebody tell me Oregon was second. They definitely didn't tell me Oregon was first. Not one time did somebody tell me Oregon was second, even after it was over. And he didn't even take the Alabama visit. I had people that said, if there were no Ohio state, it would have been Alabama. It was that, you know, he canceled that Alabama visit or the Alabama visit was canceled, whether it was from Alabama's end or JT's end, because his recruitment was done and there was no point to take any other visits. And that Oregon visit being on the back-to-back meant he was going to take that trip regardless because it was back-to-back. No break in between. Gun to my head, Ohio State obviously finished first, Alabama finished second, Oregon finished third. And the gap between Ohio State and Alabama was huge in the end because he committed to Ohio State and didn't even visit Alabama. And I'm going to say this too, the gap between Alabama and Oregon was really significant too. And you can believe that or not. And you can say, well, that's stupid to say because he took the Oregon visit and he didn't take the Alabama visit. Again, Oregon at best didn't creep into second until he'd already decided he was going to Ohio State. And then at that point, we're talking about a booby price. When his mind wasn't made up, Ohio State, Alabama, Gap, Oregon. I'm confident that's the case. And the reason I I harp on this is because I think it played out in the media for several months in ways that were really uncomfortable. Because there was so much buzz that didn't exist. There were so many people reporting different things about, you know, again, rivals, top two national guys said he was going to pick Oregon on signing day in February. You had team sites saying it's Oregon this week. You had multiple, multiple Oregon reporters picking Oregon this week. It was never Oregon. You could say, and it would be it would be comfortable to say, you know, I think it's Ohio State, but kids shock people sometimes, it could be Oregon. Or I'm going to pick Oregon because they're the home team and Mario Cristobal does a great job, but it's probably Ohio State. But I'm going to stay loyal. Anything other than those things and you either listen to bad sourcing or you just made stuff up. There's no other way to say it. There's no other way to say it. Very very difficult recruitment. Very difficult recruitment to cover. Very frustrating. It 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 really there aren't many times where I cover recruiting and really strongly dislike the job. And maybe that's maybe that's that's too inside baseball. Maybe that's letting you too far in this recruitment was one of those ones where i just didn't enjoy covering recruiting because there's a certain way to do to to report things in journalism and i watched dozens of people i'm not i'm not singling out anybody i mean i, I mentioned the rivals guys <laughs> uh because at different points they picked he, him to pick oregon you know they predicted ohio state was out of it again no names there just rivals in general but i I watched time and time again, people essentially make stuff up. And then there was so much of it that towards the end, I went, I, guys, everything I'm hearing is Ohio state, but maybe Oregon, I guess. Cause there's, I sure are a lot of people saying stuff. And then you find out after his decision, nope, never close, never close. Very confident in that, by the way, would absolutely bet my life that it was never close, never close. So take that for what you will. Use that for your information going forward on who to trust and who not to. And I would say unquestionably right now, 24-7 sports has a giant leg up over rivals. I think that is obvious. If, if you don't take, I mean, again, rivals last year had Justin Flo to USC. I covered that recruitment closely too. And I heard buzz that it might be USC from, from people who had stakes in the game for USC any non-partial person involved in that recruitment in any way, shape, or form said Oregon. So to pick USC was a head-scratcher. To pick Oregon on signing day in February was a head-scratcher. There were a lot of head-scratchers with this recruitment. Oregon did get a big commitment from five-star offensive lineman Kelvin Banks I pushed, follow his recruitment, follow his recruitment. All the while, uh, you know, I had quotes on his story that he was choosing Oregon. I sat back on that. I chose not to make a prediction. I feel like, again, kind of letting you behind the curtain here. Once I have quotes from a kid about where he's going, if he's willing to do that, I try to avoid making a prediction. I think that's not fair. I think it's, unless they ask me to. I've had kids say, I'm picking this school. Can you do a prediction piece for me? Build some hype for me. I've had kids do that. So I've done it but in Kelvin Banks' case, specifically asked me not to make a prediction. So I didn't, but I kept saying, it's a wild card, watch for Oregon, watch for Oregon, here's his commitment, follow his commitment, big time get, five-star offensive lineman, highest rated offensive line pledge in program history. Huge get, great get for the program. Oregon's gotta be absolutely thrilled. Kelvin Banks out of Texas, I've mentioned time and time again on my radio show. I've mentioned it here as well. The radio show again, 7 to 8 p.m., ten eighty to the fan recruiting with Andrew Nimick and obviously you know where to find this podcast, you're listening to it, I've said Oregon will make Texas a priority this recruiting cycle. And they did. Kelvin Banks, five-star offensive lineman. Steven Johnson, three-star wide receiver. Nicholas Anderson, the number seven wide receiver in the country, committed to Oregon last week. Cameron Williams, four-star offensive lineman, down to Oregon, Texas, and Oklahoma, chooses Oregon. Probably going to be a guard, could play some tackle in a pinch. Big time big time for Oregon to go into Texas. They've already done a great job in the West region. Now they're doing a great job in the state of Texas. I want to get to what's next for Oregon, things to watch. But first, let's take a quick break. We discussed maybe ad nauseum. Maybe folks are like, I've heard enough about JT. Let's move on. We talked about JT in the first segment. We talked a little bit about Kelvin Banks, highest rated offensive line recruit in program history, number 14 overall prospect, number two offensive tackle. So what's next for the Oregon Ducks? They've got the number nine recruiting class in the country, the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. Well, follow my coverage on the Oregonian Oregon Live. I've already made a prediction. I think the Oregon Ducks are going to get Dave Aiuli, the number nine interior offensive lineman in the country. He said it. We talked about it. I did a story on it. He's down to nine. This weekend, he's going to go down to five. And in mid-July, he is going to make a final decision. I think USC's in that. I think Oregon's in it. I think Washington would love to be in it. I didn't totally get the sense that Washington's got a great shot with him. But I do think Oregon and USC are very much involved. Oklahoma is the fourth program he told me specifically, it's already in the story, was going to make his top five. He's trying to figure out who that fifth school will be. He visited Cal, he visited Oregon State. Oklahoma makes his top five. They're the only school in that top five that he hasn't visited so far. He has visited Washington. He has visited, excuse me, visited USC. He has visited Oregon. All three of those programs he has said will already make it. And just the sense I get from him is it's going to come down to Oregon and USC. So why do I think Oregon? I think that offensive line potential, the the potential to play with those teammates is huge. He talked a lot about USC on his visit and the city of Los Angeles and what that could mean for him in terms of being a big city guy. So that's something to watch. Definitely something to watch. But he also talked about the pedigree of Oregon, the development at Oregon. And I think that has potential to be the difference maker. We will see. Dave Ayuli, by the way, also has a chance to be a defensive tackle. He's six foot four, three 320 pounds. He plays both. He is being recruited by both uh, Coach Salovea, Coach Mirabal, and then, of course, Mario Cristobal. So he could play either way. In Eugene, I think USC is recruiting in both ways. I think a number of schools are recruiting in both ways. So he might be the 6'4", 320-pound defensive tackle. Or he could be a guard. But either way, he's a great com- potential commit for the Oregon Ducks. Whoever gets him is getting a great commit. It'll just be interesting to see how it plays out. If it's Oregon, they're probably pretty close to being done along the offensive line. Oregon fans crossing their fingers for five-star offensive lineman, Josh Connerly. I've never gotten the sense that Josh Connerly is strongly, strongly considering Oregon. Now with with the lineup they have, and hey, come play with Kingsley and come play with Kelvin, maybe there's renewed interest there. But as it stands right now, I just don't really see a path for Oregon to get Josh Connerly. That's the way it looks right now. Things change. We've talked about that in the last segment. Things change. But as it stands, I think Washington has a very good chance with Josh Connerly. So that's what's next. Isaiah Sategna, another prospect, announcing his commitment July 11th. He seems to be down to Oregon and USC, and I think he's going to choose USC. But silver lining here is Oregon's in it for a ton of elite wide receivers. Kevin Coleman, uh T. McMillan, I don't know how to say his first name. He's the number four receiver in the country. Greg Biggins compared him on their site to A.J. Green. So I'm going to go ahead and say that would be a great get. Uh, Darius Clemens, obviously an in-state prospect. I don't necessarily think Oregon's made him a massive priority, but they're in it for a number of receivers, uh, several others. Uh, Brennan Thompson is the number two athlete in the country on rivals. I think he's the number 11 wide receiver in the country on 24-7, something along those lines. Brennan Thompson is another one to watch potentially uh, to choose Oregon. So Oregon's going to get another receiver or two. I think probably they'll take two if they can get two of the elite ones. They'll take one if they can only get one uh, big-time receiver. And so that's kind of what's in the pipeline for the Oregon Ducks. Transitioning gears a little bit and headed to Oregon State, a great, great June kind of gives way to an early July that, at least on paper, was a little disappointing. There was a time when Colson Loveland said Oregon State was his absolute leader. That was his absolute favorite. Colson Loveland, the four-star tight end, got offers after that from Alabama, from Michigan, from a number of other programs. And that just proved kind of to be too much for Oregon State. Despite the fact that Oregon State hosted him on a visit, despite the fact that he loved Corvallis, despite the fact that he thought he was a great fit in the offense. This week, he committed to Michigan. Keith Olsen, Looked like he was locked into Oregon State. Multiple predictions on 24-7 that he would go to Oregon State. It, I didn't make a prediction because I thought there was still time. I loved his film. I thought more schools could get involved. But there was a time when I felt very strongly he was probably going to end up at Oregon State. In pencil, at home, when I fill in who I think where I think people are going, I had Olsen to Oregon State. In pencil. I don't make predictions unless I feel pretty good and I'm ready to put them in pen. Sure enough... Updated film, USC offers. He takes a visit to USC right before he goes to Oregon State and suddenly it became a battle. This week, he chooses USC. And I already mentioned Dave Iuli. Dave Iuli took a visit to Oregon State, really liked Oregon State, had a lot of good things to say about Oregon State. I don't think I'm overstating it when I say if Dave Iuli says, I've got a top five coming out this weekend, so far, Oregon, USC, Washington and Oklahoma are all in it. I'm trying to decide the fifth school. I'm going to guess whoever is that fifth school, unless it's, I mean, realistically, there's no scenario. If he knows four, he's probably going to one of those four. Could he go to the fifth school? I guess, because kids are kids. High school kids are high school kids. You can always change your mind. But it just seems to me, if you know who four of your five schools are, you're probably pretty confident that you're going to choose one of those four. Those are three of their probably top 4 or 5 uh prospects targets I should say. The uh, the Beavers did make the top 5 for Sterling Lane, a four-star defensive end linebacker. I I just have to say I you know it was Arizona, Colorado, Oregon State, all three of those schools he visited. Oregon and Michigan also made the list. He has not visited those schools. I think those are schools he's hoping to hear more from. I really think right now, if he was going to decide anytime soon, it'd be Arizona, Colorado, and Oregon State would be the three teams he'd mostly be considering. Again, I'm not sure Oregon and Michigan are quite there yet. That He's a guy they're really hardcore targeting. I think that's a feeling out right now. And as it stands, I I just think Arizona and Colorado have done a really good job. yeah. The information I've gathered so far, it's very early, a lot can change, is that Arizona and Colorado did a great job and and that those two schools potentially are going to be the teams to beat. Oregon State had a good visit with him. He had good things to say about his visit to Oregon State. I don't think they're by any means out of it. Obviously, they just made the top five. But as it stands, it certainly seems like Arizona and Colorado are probably the two teams out in front, but we'll see again, a four-star linebacker. They're in it for these guys. They've got to close, right? This was a great foundation in June. They got a number of commitments. They got something like seven commitments in nine days. Not only did they add to the 2021 class they added via the transfer portal and they added to 2022 with guys like Melvin Jordan, the number six inside linebacker in the country. They've got the number two center in the country. There are good things in this class. Dylan Lopez, by the way, is the number two center in the country in case Uh, you don't know. So they've got some nice pieces. They've got some really nice pieces. But this is where you want to see them kind of turn the page. Great start, great foundation, improvement, unquestionably. But where you go from improvement to really hitting a home run is you land a guy maybe like Colson Loveland, like a guy like Caten Hauser, who initially chose Boise State over Oregon State, then he flipped to Michigan State. He's an Elite 11 finalist. You'd get a guy like Sterling Lane you'd potentially get a guy like Dave Aiuli or a Keith Olsen. You got to start winning those head-to-head battles to truly enter the top 4 or 5 in the Pac-12 in recruiting. You've got to start beating USC for guys. You've got to start fairly consistently beating Arizona and Colorado for guys. You've got to be able to hang occasionally, especially with a West Coast kid, you've got to be able to hang with Michigan. And you can say, "Man, that's asking a lot." Yeah. If you want to be a top 4 or 5 recruiter in the Pac-12 though, that's what it takes. That's the reality. That's what it takes to be a top 4 or 5 recruiter in the Pac-12. Not quite there yet. As it stands, the class is 8th in the 8th in the Pac-12, 51st in the country. Last year, very small class, they were outside the top 100 and they finished last in the Pac-12. The last few years, they finished 10th, 11th, 12th, 11th. Eighth is improvement. Eighth is significant improvement. If they can stay in that seven, eight range, that's really good, especially when they're adding guys via the transfer portal too. And again, those guys don't count to your recruiting ranking. If you finish six, seven, eight all the time and you add four, five, six impact transfers every year, you're doing a pretty good job. I think that's a recipe to be a bowl contender year in, year out. Is it a is it a Recipe for competing for the Pac-12 title, maybe in very, very special years, not consistently. You want to consistently compete for the Pac-12 title, you got to get in that top four or five. That's the next step. And that means getting guys like Colson Loveland, Dave Ayuli, Keith Olson. That means being in those fights. But progress, clear progress for Oregon State. Little bit of a hiccup, but still even in that, they offered Keith, Ol- Keith Olsen early. They offered Colson Loveland early. They offered Caden Hauser early. They didn't get those guys, but clearly they're doing a good job identifying them because after they offer, Michigan State comes in for Caden Hauser, USC comes in for Keith Olson. Michigan and Alabama come in for Colson Loveland. They're looking at the right targets and identifying the right targets. Even in that, there is progress. They're not offering guys and then suddenly New Mexico's entering the fray. They're offering guys, hosting them on visits, and then three, four, five months into the relationship, Alabama gets involved. Michigan gets involved. Michigan State gets involved. USC gets involved. means you're identifying the right talent, which, again, is a good sign of a good process. Kind of looking all good all around Oregon. Oregon football, doing a great job. Oregon State football, doing a great job. Oregon basketball recently got Dior, Dior Johnson five-star, number number one point guard in the nation. Good things all around. I think that's about as good a weekly update as we can give you. Oregon gets the highest-rated offensive line commit in program history. Oregon State ends its hot streak with a little bit of a cool down, but even that comes with a silver lining. All good things. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you. We'll be back next week for another episode of The Recruiting Trail, presented by the Oregonian and Oregon